Have you ever asked yourself if you would rather win at work or win at home? Do you feel like it has to be a choice? Well, today I'm going to have a conversation where we're going to figure out how you can win at both. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, it's not uncommon where we just assume that if we're going to succeed at work, we have to work more hours, put in more time. Well, in today's environment, fortunately, we realize there are other options. There are so many ways to shape our work so that it's successful for us, so that it leaves time to be successful in those other areas of life. You know, in the brand new version, the 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love, I put a new subtitle in there. It's 48 Days to the Work and Life You Love. Well, today I'm going to have a conversation with my friend, Michael Hyatt. I don't often have guests on the podcast. This is an exception because he has a new book out, Win at Work and Succeed at Life, that so ties in with the things that we address here week after week on this podcast that I thought it made sense to bring him on and pick his brain to get his insight, his wisdom, having gone through this process. Now, I knew Michael back when he was CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. You know, that's the biggest Christian publisher in the world. I knew him then, published a book, Wisdom Meets Passion, back then. I knew him when he left there to branch out as a solopreneur. He had a blog that was doing well. He started speaking, and then he figured out real quickly that he didn't want to be on the road that much. So he had to figure some new things out, how to have a real life, not just success in business, but a life that matters as well. Now, Michael's wife, Gail, and my wife, Joanne, are great friends. The four of us have enjoyed many meals together, week-long cruises, time just spent sorting through the big questions we all have. He's a trusted friend and, again, has this new book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life. Now, you can go to winandsucceedbook.com slash 48 days to order the book and get some bonuses, and I want to tell you a little bit more about that after this interview, but right now, I want you just to sit back and just enjoy the questions that I threw Michael's way that challenge some assumptions that we all have about work. Well, Michael, as you start your book, this amazing book, When It Works, Succeed at Life, you share a very painful yet poignant story about a period in your life where you experienced extraordinary success, but at the same instant were reminded of an area in your life where you weren't doing so well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's true. This happened about 20 years ago now, Dan. And I had taken responsibility for one of Thomas Nelson Publisher's 14 book publishing divisions. So at the time, Thomas Nelson was the seventh largest book publisher in the U.S., largest faith-based publisher in the world. They had 14 book publishing divisions, and I was given responsibility for the the dog, you know, the run to the litter. <laughs> and this was a division that had lost money the previous year and wasn't growing, hadn't grown in several years. And so I was asked to turn it around, and the CEO said, how long is this going to take? And I said, probably a completely pulled this number out of the air. I said, three years. And he said, well, that's kind of what I was thinking. So have at it. So I rolled up my sleeves, went back to the team and shared the vision of how I thought we could become number one, not really knowing if it was possible. 
but we, we all went to work working 70 to 80 hour weeks, you know, compromising our weekends, giving up our vacations. And we were able to turn that division around, not in three years, but in a year and a half, we went from number 14 to number one in terms of revenue growth. We were the fastest growing division in the company, number 14 to number one in terms of profitability. We were the most profitable division in the company. And as a result, I got the biggest bonus check I had ever gotten in my life. It was more than my annual salary. And I was one of those things where, you know, I got handed the check and I just like laughed out loud. And so I, I knew Gail would be super, super excited about it. And Gail, we have been married for 43 years this coming summer, but uh, I, I just knew she'd be excited. She's my biggest cheerleader. So I went home, you know, bounced through the front door, found her in the house and said, babe, you're not going to believe this. Unfurled the check, expecting her to be giddy with excitement. Sure. And it was just flat. She just wasn't that excited. And she said, babe, we need to talk. And I felt that deep sinking feeling in my chest that this was going to be a very important conversation, but one that I didn't want to have. So we walked into the den, we sat down and she said, first of all, and she started to cheer up. She said, you know how proud I am of you. I, I, I love you. And I'm grateful for everything you do for our family, but I got to be honest with you. She said, you are never home. And she said, even when you are, you're not really here. You're lost in your devices. You're thinking about work. You're just not present for the family. And your five daughters need you right now. Well, that was a gut kick, you know, a dagger through the heart. I knew she was right. I wanted to be defensive, but I knew that she was right. Then she started to cry. And she said, honestly, I feel like a single mom. Oh, my. And that was not what I was going for, Dan. You know, I thought I'd reached the pinnacle of success. But what I discovered in that moment was that it was a false summit. And I, I felt like I was faced, and, and so many people I'm sure can relate to this. I felt, felt like I was faced with this impossible choice. And that's what Megan and I call it in our book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life. This impossible choice where, where either you can win at work or you can succeed at life, but you can't do both. And faced with those two options, most people do one of two things. I see entrepreneurs do this all the time. You know, they, they, they give into what we call the hustle fallacy, where they think if I just work hard enough and keep grinding, I'll eventually get to the place where I can pull back, relax, and give time and attention to the other things that matter in my life, like my health and my family and my hobbies and so forth. Or they feel like in order to preserve those other things that are important, they pump the brakes. We call this the uh, ambition break but they pump the brakes on their professional life and settle for less than they're capable of because they don't want to compromise the important things. And, and the whole reason we wrote the book was we believe that's a false dichotomy. It's a false choice. Oh my. There's a third way. Well, oh, there is. And I'm so eager to unpack this. But now let's back up a little bit. Let's look at the economic model in our culture. If we go back 100 years, you know, you and I are working on the farm we're out there, we're planting soybeans and corn, milking cows, baling hay or whatever. That's kind of a, a healthy model where if it rained, you know, we could take a day off and stay inside. It was, but then along came the industrial revolution. Henry Ford says, if you will show up early in the morning, work all day, I'll give you $5 a day. And we started to equate our results with time. And yes. thus we have continued that. So we equate time with success. So if you're making $20 an hour and you want to increase your income, you want to see if you can get some overtime 
And, and we, we can even move that up. If you're making $150,000 a year, we tend to assume the same. If I want to double my income, I need to put in more hours at work. And we see that embraced. We still are caught up in that. Now, we're going to talk about some new ways of generating income that you understand well, but we still hear about that. We hear people like Gary Vanacek, you know, says there's nothing that he enjoys more than putting in a 15-hour day. He says, if you want to get ahead, you want to work until your eyeballs bleed. You know, in, in your book, you talk about Elon Musk. You talk about him a lot. Tell us what he says about work. Yeah. One of the things that he advocates for is working a hundred hours a week. That's right. And he says, if, if you do that, you basically bury your competition because you can accomplish in three or four months, what's going to take them 12 months to accomplish. And the problem with that is none of the science supports that. Uh, because after you get over about 50 hours a week, your productivity actually starts to go backward, but it's worse than that. You know, one of the, one of the studies that we quote in the book is that if you, the difference between working 40 hours a week and 55 hours a week, you may think, you know, it's not that much. I mean, I know plenty of people that work more than 55 hours a week, but just the difference between 40 and 55 in terms of just your health, you increase your risk of heart attack by 13%. You increase your risk of stroke by 33%. So this, this is a lifestyle that's not sustainable. And if you look at Elon and I don't you know, mean to pick on him, we do pick on him only because he's, you know, been very public about advocating for this. And I see a lot of young entrepreneurs who are suffering, trying to imitate this, but you look at Elon, he's on his third marriage by his own admission, his five sons won't talk to him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have a life. You know, he may get to Mars, but he may be there by himself. Oh my. Yeah. I mean, we see Tesla, and SpaceX. And we think, oh my gosh, what this guy has accomplished. And he has. And then we see the trail of damage that he has in other parts of his life. And thus, come back to your premise, the double win. Now you talked about, we often are think we have to choose between a win at work or backing off mediocre success there and doing okay at home. Wow. But this, so we come to this issue that you addressed in your book, chapter five, you talk about the promise of balance and we hear that bandied about balance, harmony. How does that work? You know, if we have seven areas of life and we want balance, that implies we're going to spend 24 hours in each area. So that would give us 24 hours in work, 24 hours in your family, 24 hours of physical needs, but that's not really what you're advocating. How does this thing of balance work? Yeah. You know, I hear people talk about this all the time and they, and they usually frame it up as the myth of work-life balance, like it's completely unattainable and it's ridiculous. And then they proceed to build a straw man and then they destroy the straw man and throw, throw it out, you know, altogether. Mm -hmm. But they, the, the way that it's typically built is that, you know, that you need to give equal attention to every area of your life. Now, one of the things I believe is that there's at least 10 different domains of life. You know, there's everything from, you know, your spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical life, you know, your well-being there, the, the social well-being, which would include, you know, your marriage or your significant other, your kids, your friends, and then sort of your, your relationship to the world, your vocation, your avocation, your finance. So there's all these different areas. But here's the thing. It is important to understand that life is multidimensional. And work is only one way to orient your life. You know, for a lot of people, it's the only way they orient it. And for me, for much of my career, it was my primary orientation for life. Work 
And then just sort of these things that happened on the fringe that frankly frustrated me and that I didn't like that I had to do them, but everything I, you know, I wanted to get back to work because then, and I would tell people, I love, I love my work. My work is my hobby, but giving, getting balanced does not mean giving equal time and attention to each of these domains. It means giving appropriate time and attention to each of these domains. Now, let me give you an example. This morning, I spent about 45 minutes in the gym. That's an appropriate amount of time and attention for me to keep myself healthy, for me to do what I need to do to be in the best shape I can be in at my age. I didn't just spend, you know, six hours or eight hours a day like I will do at work. I mean, I don't even spend that much time with Gail. I don't have to spend that much time with Gail, you know, six to eight hours a day for me to spend an appropriate amount of time with her. You know, for me, I typically, you know, we have dinner together in the evening. We have great conversations. We have date night every week. That's appropriate. So it's the idea behind balance is that we're giving the appropriate amount of time to each of these and we're not neglecting everything or sacrificing it on the altar of our ambition to service this one domain called work. I know you've got a lot of programs out there that help people identify how they're going to use time in different areas of their life. But we hear from dads sometime who are taking what you just described and saying, well, I only spend 10 minutes a day with my son, but it's really quality time. How do we combat that idea justifying what's just a little bit, but it's quality rather than what a child may need or what a wife may need? You know, you're saying, you know, Gail doesn't need eight hours a day, but how do we move into this appropriate amount of time as you describe it? Well, one of the principles I really believe is that what gets scheduled gets done. You know, and if there's not a place on your calendar, not going to happen. And, you know, a lot of people believe in budgeting their money. I believe in budgeting my time and spending it on paper even before so that I make sure that I allocate my time to the appropriate priorities. And and the great thing about it is that as you move into this kind of double win lifestyle where you're wanting to win at work and succeed at life, and you're given in the appropriate time and attention to these areas, then all of a sudden the number of crises in these areas diminish. So that, for example, when I'm working, I'm not fretting about the condition of my marriage. I'm not distracted. I'm not thinking about one of my kids going off the rails. So I'm able to give my full focus and attention to my work. I'm able to be fully present to my work. That automatically increases my creativity, my focus, my productivity. And it works in reverse. When I give that appropriate amount of time and attention to work, by the way, I only work a 30-hour work week right now. And and in fact, it's true for our entire company. And uh, when I give my appropriate time and attention at work, then when I'm at home, when I'm with my kids, when I'm with Gail, I can give total focus, be fully present to them because I'm not worried that something's going off the rails at work. And that's the benefit of this, this idea of balance. All right. I want to move into another section of your book. You title it A Profitable Pause. We still tend to think we're being productive when we're producing income. That's what we equate with success, productivity, however you want to, however we want to term that. And we tend to think that anything that's not producing income eh, is probably just when we're in neutral. But you position this as a really important part of this double win. Talk to us. You say there's incredible power in non-achievement. 
I love that term. Dan, I didn't even know there was such a thing. (laughs) Non-achievement. I mean, I'm the kind of guy, like on the the strength finders, achiever is my number one strength. I'm an Enneagram three, which means I'm a performer or an achiever. And so I have to be achieving all the time. I'm, I'm the kind of person, and, and I don't, I'm not sure some of your listeners can relate to this, but they probably can, where I will write things down on my to-do list after I've already done them <laughs> just so I can check them off, right? That's how much Got I love achieve, achievement. But the, the older I've gotten, the more I've realized there is incredible power in non-achievement. Some of the best things in life some of the most important moments that I've, I've ever experienced have been things that I couldn't check off a list. You know, sitting on a beach, watching the sunset with my wife, uh-huh. that's non-achievement, uh-huh. you know, and yet it's powerful. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Or like I was doing a couple of weeks ago, having dinner with one of my, uh, Gail and I were having dinner with, with one of our daughters and her husband and just sitting, having a glass of wine and just just enjoying the spring breeze and just having this incredibly meaningful conversation. You know, it wasn't something I checked off my list or, or now I have, and I never, I used to make this excuse. My work is my hobby. Mm. And a lot of people say this, my work is my hobby. I just love my work so much. And you know, when you have the privilege of doing what you love and that you're passionate about, there's no question. It's fun. You know, work is fun. You get to experience flow and all these amazing things, but that's, but that's, but that's pretty different. And so today I have, I have hobbies, you know, I, I love to fish. And somebody said about fishing one time, told me, they said, when you're fishing, you're doing something, but you ain't doing much. <laughs> and that's one of the things I love about fishing, uh, golfing, you know, playing the guitar, playing the native American flute. You know, I love, I love music and these are non-achievement activities, but here's the thing. They restore your soul. They, they, uh, they deal with you at a very deep place where you get the rejuvenation you need so that, so that you go back to work fully refreshed and can be even more creative, even more focused, even more productive. And of course, sometimes the very best ideas that we've ever had come to us when we're not working. Oh my. Right. Right. And I, I, one of the things I read years ago, and I don't remember who said it, but they were, it was a, a sports psychologist And he said that tension is the enemy of performance. Now, as a golfer, and not a very good one, by the way, but as a golfer, one of the things I've realized is that when I'm tense, I don't play well. And one of the best pieces of coaching I ever got when it came to golf was you just need to relax your grip and slow down your swing. And when I do that, I play better golf. And when we do that in life, we live a better life. And so if we really want to up our performance, and I know it sounds counterintuitive, we really need hobbies. We really need to have that margin, those times when we're not working, not achieving so that we can really, you know, put the, put the foot to the gas when we get to work. All right. There's a couple underlying principles in this that I want us to lean into and unpack as well. But I want to ask you this, based on what you just described, you know, Enneagram three, high on achievement, you had to learn how to lean into these things like fishing, golf, playing a Native American, you know, what is what is the flute? Flute, isn't it, that you play? Yeah, oh, I, yep. lo- I love that. You get a display of different models in, in your house. You didn't that didn't come naturally, I'm assuming, because of your tendency toward performance. How did you 
talk yourself into? Is this a matter of just budgeting your time as you're describing so that you well, force yourself to lean into these areas? Yeah, it is. And, I, and let me give you a good example. Why do people that have the intention of taking the weekend off, for example, drift back into work, find themselves thinking about work, wanting to listen to a podcast about work, reading a book on work? Why does that happen? It happens because nature abhors a vacuum. And when there's a vacuum that's not programmed, we're going to drift into the thing that's familiar. And again, work has so many benefits. It's so alluring. You know, again, work is one of those things that's fun. We experience flow, you know, or have the potential to. It's where we're rewarded. We're patted on the back. We're celebrated. And it's just where we kind of know what we're doing. These other areas, we may not feel so competent about. And so what I had to do was I literally had to schedule time on my weekends so that, and I'm I'm talking about fun stuff, but I had to schedule it. Like I'm going to play golf Saturday morning, or I'm going to go fishing, you know, on, on Saturday afternoon. So I literally had to build those in so that I made sure that I didn't drift back to work. And that's the best advice I can give for anybody. And it's especially important on vacations. You know, I, part of me loves, and I'm, I'm at the place now where I've, you know, done this for, you know, 20 years that I can go on a vacation and not have anything programmed and still do nothing and, you know, grab a novel or read or whatever and not drift back into work. But at the beginning, I really had to schedule my time and make sure that I was doing, that I filled that time with non-work related, non-achievement related activities. Okay. Now here's the challenge in doing that. And of course, a lot of people enjoy golf and all those kind of things, enjoy fishing. But we also know, you know this very well, that high achievers often don't enjoy anything as much as the thrill of work. So if we're just looking for what we really enjoy, you talked about your enjoyment of work. It seems like the natural thing is to, wow, let me work. I enjoy that more than fishing. I enjoy that more than playing golf. But you're talking about a structured process where we have to believe the benefits are there to move away from work. And I, and I want pe- I want my listeners to remember the phrase, a profitable pause. I'm a little, un- I cringe a little bit with non-achievement, <laughs> but we'll go with a profitable pause. But how, how do we combat that when we may enjoy work more than an afternoon of playing golf? Part of the reason we enjoy work, there's two things. One, we may just have a natural passion for it but we almost also have a proficiency and there's a lot of things that I do in my work life. And I'm going to illustrate this in the work domain. And then I'm going to come back to, to these other non-work areas, but there are things that I do today, like doing a podcast interview, like, like we're doing now that I used to absolutely hate. I dreaded or being in front of a video camera or writing. But Hmm. as I developed proficiency, my passion went up. Oh, yes, totally. And so I think it's the same thing with golf. I mean, when you first start playing golf, I mean, first of all, golf's a pretty complicated game. And initially you feel totally incompetent. You know, you're shanking the ball into the rough and, you know, you go through a, you know, a case of balls uh, in, a, in a round of golf and it can be a very frustrating experience. Gail's learning to play golf right now because we have a, near our lake house, we have a, a golf course. And so she's enjoying that, but she's pretty frustrated right now because she doesn't <laughs> have the competency but she almost beat me two weeks ago. So now she's starting to enjoy it a little bit more. So that's the thing I would say about, about, you know, playing a musical instrument or, you know, I, I'm not, I don't prescribe, you know, what, what people ought to do, but pick something 
that you're kind of interested in that you think you'd like to learn and then give yourself some space to develop some proficiency because I promise you, your love for it will go up. You'll enjoy it more as you get more competent at it. Uh, I Right before I switched to our call right here, I was on a Zoom call with my Spanish teacher, Maria from Venezuela. I'm learning I Spanish. This. There's no motivation for me to connect that with my work. It's something that I consider to be one of those personal areas. And wow, you are so right. As things start to become easier, I'm enjoying it more and more and more. And all of a sudden, we go to a Mexican restaurant and I can you know, order, I can converse with people. Our yard guys come. It's starting to be a lot of fun because I'm getting a little more competency there. Oh. Okay, footnote. You need to send me her name. Oh. Because that's something I may want to do. Will do. She's she's delightful. She's absolutely delightful. Okay, a couple other areas here from your book. And of course, we're talking about when it works, succeed at life. And I want to talk about this area of rethinking sleep, because here's an area again where we think it's time. If I invest time in something, it's going to be successful. And if I'm sleeping, everything stops. Nothing's happening. I'm not being productive. I'm wasting time. You really move into that area this idea that we can cheat ourselves on sleep and get more done. Yeah, I was the poster child for that. You know, I used to see, like a lot of executives see, sleep as the enemy. And when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, we even published a book, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but we published a book that advocated for training your body to get by on four hours of sleep a night. And the premise was that if you could do that, you could reclaim those additional four hours, and that would give you a leg up on the competition. Ouch. That's like the most detrimental thing that you could ever <laughs> advise anybody, right? Because sleep is critically important. It's critically important for our health. It's critically important for our, for our cognition, for us to function at the, you know, at the top of our game. So sleep is not the enemy. Sleep is our friend. This last Super Bowl was fascinating. And I, I, Tom Brady is somebody who just fascinates me because here he is the oldest quarterback in the NFL but he's kind of at the peak of his game, you know, watching, watching him win that Super Bowl was, you know, I was, I was, as an old guy, I'm like rooting for the old guy. Right. But I, I thought, well, wonder, wonder what he does. that's different. Cause I, I think to myself, he's got to be a very disciplined athlete. And I didn't know a thing about him. I don't really follow football that much. So I, I found an article online that talked about um, his morning ritual, his evening ritual, and kind of how he, how he orders his life. The number one thing he does is he sleeps nine hours a night. Oh, nine hours a night. He will not compromise that for anything. And he equates the level of his performance to the amount of sleep he gets. And all the science would support that. You know, we, we quote the science in the book, but, but if you try to get by on just six hours sleep a night and you do that for two weeks, you function mentally at the level of somebody who's legally drunk. Oh my. I mean, it, think about that. That's, you know, none of us would think about going to work that drunk. And yet we do that to ourselves by depriving ourselves of sleep. And one of the things that professional athletes know is that sleep is the friend of performance. So uh, several years ago, I was talking to my trainer and I, I had some crazy, I mean, it was like 10 years ago, I had some crazy uh, fat mass goal. In other words, I wanted to get my fat mass down into single digits which is kind of laughable when I think about it now. But, uh, but he said to me, he said, there's no way you can do that. And I said, I'm willing to put in the time at the gym. And he said, oh, it's not. He said, the gym is not where it happens. 
He said, the gym is where we break down muscle, but sleep is where we build it. He said, you're not going to, you're not willing to sleep long enough to get down to that fat mass. That's interesting. And he said, like Olympians, they'll sleep 10 hours a night. Bodybuilders, they'll sleep 10 hours a night because they know that that they need that sleep to rebuild what is what deteriorates or what is broken down during the ordinary course of a day. And so I thought, wow, that's really good. Now I sleep about on average eight hours of sleep a night, but I've really had to work at that because everything in our culture combats against that. And by the way, just a pro tip here, I don't manage when I wake up, my body automatically does that. I have to manage in order to get a good night's sleep. I have to manage when I go to bed at night. So that's the thing I'm rigorous about. I literally have a alarm on my phone that reminds me, hey, it's time to start getting ready for bed. That's interesting, but not an alarm clock. Not an alarm clock. <laughs> an alarm clock to tell you it's time to go to bed. I love that. You, you well, know, the- listen, this is kind of interesting too. I, I think sometimes we think of sleep at, or rest as the reward for our labors. Mm-hmm. Like, oh boy, once I get through this product launch or once I get through this campaign or this startup or this whatever it is, I'm going to reward myself with a vacation. Or I'm going to reward myself with the opportunity to rest. But until then, you know, it's nose to the grindstone. But I think that rest is not the reward for hard work. It's the precondition or the foundation of hard work. And I don't think it's an accident that in the Bible, it says that evening and morning were the first day. The ancient Israelites basically thought in that kind of cycle, that it was rest that came first, and then it was the work. The night came before the, before the day. Oh, my. You know, I, the opening song on my podcast is the old Bachman-Turner Overdrive song, Taking Care of Business, and the first line in that is, wake up every morning to the alarm clock's warning. And it talks about, you know, getting to catch the 815 into the city. It's that pattern that a lot of people get into. The alarm clock interrupts your sleep. You get up, jump on a bus, jump on a train. Yeah, that whole mentality. There was an article in Inc. Magazine one time about a guy who's, who was weaning himself from sleep. He was setting his alarm clock one minute earlier every night to wean himself from needing sleep. Isn't that wow. ridiculous as we think about it? Now, it is. you talked about in the Bible, it talks about they recognize the evening time as a time of rest. A couple of weeks ago, Joanna and I went down to Fort Myers and visited Thomas Edison and Henry Ford's homes and museums down there. There is no invention in the course of humanity that has affected us more than the invention of electricity. But look what we did with the electricity. All of a sudden, darkness doesn't stop us from working. Especially now, you know, we can continue 24-7. It doesn't matter if it's dark outside. We've lost the rhythm of nature that God created for times of sleep. So now it's even more challenging to find those times of sleep. And we bring our work home with us. And this last year, a lot of people have been forced to bring their homework home with them. And they have realized there's no borders at all. They have to create boundaries yes. for their work. Well, let me talk about that for a minute because it's one of the key principles. The subtitle of the book, by the way, is Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork. And one of the principles is the idea that constraints are basically what you have to have to produce freedom and focus and productivity. And so one of the first things happened after that conversation with Gail in the den, I knew I was in trouble. 
And all of a sudden I, you know, I, and, and occasionally we have these moments in our life where we see the trajectory of where we're going and I didn't like it. I, I realized that I was going to end up at a destination that I would not have chosen. You know, that's, I call that the drift in another book I wrote, but, um, but I thought I need help. So I hired an executive coach and I know you believe in coaching. I believe in coaching. We both have coaching uh, as part of our business model, but uh, this is the, my first experience of being coached. So I hired an executive coach. It was Daniel Harkavy and he and I wrote a book called Living Forward Together. But Daniel said to me, he said, he said, I perceive you as somebody who has no boundaries on work. Mm. And he said, tell me if I'm wrong. He said, you get to the middle of the afternoon and you think there's no way I'm going to finish my to-do list, but Hey, no problem. I'll go home, grab a quick bite to eat with my family, and then I'll plop open the laptop and I'll get right back to work. He said, yes or no? I said, yes, that's exactly me. And he said, you're probably the kind of guy that at the end of the week, you don't finish your task list. So you think, no problem. You know, I can work on Saturday morning. I'll go into the office or I'll do it Sunday night. No problem. I said, that's, that's me to a T. I do that literally every weekend. And then he said, you're probably the guy that goes on a vacation and gets up two hours before your family does just so you can work on email or that project that you couldn't get to, you know, in your normal work life. And I said, that's me. And he said, (laughs) exactly. He said, and we all heard this analogy, but he said, the only difference between a river and a swamp is that a river has boundaries or borders. And so he said, I want you, I want you to think about the power of constraints. Are you willing to commit to a stop time for work a day when you're going to close the laptop and or a time when you're going to close the laptop every day and you're going to say no more till tomorrow morning. And he said, when would you be willing to quit? And I said, wow. And I said, okay, 6 PM. Mm-hmm. He said, okay. He wasn't trying to prescribe. He just wanted me to get my own kind of boundary. He said, what about the weekends? What are you willing to do on the weekends? And he said, any, any answers? Okay. I just want you to have boundaries. And I said, well, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm willing to not work on the weekends. I don't want to work on the weekends. My kids need me. I know I need to to give focus to them. He said, okay, what about vacations? I'm willing to take vacations and I'm willing to not bring work to vacations. He said, okay, great. Now here's the kicker. He said, I guess then you won't mind if I call Gail every 30 days or so and check in and see how you're doing. (laughs) But it got real. And so he did that. He did that for over a year and it kept me honest because I know that Gail, I knew that Gail was going to report to him how I was actually doing, not me as an Enneagram three, you know, mm-hmm. kind of massaging my image and making it sound better than it was to my coach. He was going to get the straight skinny from my wife. And that was hugely helpful. That's, that was the beginning of my healing from this whole overwhelm from overwork. Wow. Okay. We're talking about when work succeeded in life. There are five principles you lay out. We've touched on a couple of them. Uh, one, number one was work is only one of many ways to orient your life. Constraints, as you just talked about, foster productivity, creativity, and freedom. Work-life balance is possible. There's incredible power in that profitable pause. Rest, sleep is a foundation of meaningful, productive work. I have one last issue that I want you to help me understand. You and I are in this space where we don't need to equate our work so closely to time invested. We can write a book, create a course, have a membership community, all these things that in essence scale what we're doing. But what about the person who's working a normal job? I mean, the guy who clocks in at General Motors job and works on the line for eight hours, hoping to pick up a few weekend shifts 
where he gets time and a half. You know, what about a single mom who's struggling to make ends meet? She's working 40 hours a week and barely meet her own expenses. Are there ways to apply these principles or do these principles only work for business owners, entrepreneurs, people who have the opportunity to leverage things as you and I do? Dan, this is such an important question. And my heart really goes out, especially to single moms and dads who are working long hours, trying to run the household, you know, keep the kids fed and clothed. I, I, I don't know that from firsthand experience, but I got to believe that's unbelievably difficult. And I hear from these people, you know, periodically. And the thing I would say is that, yes, it's possible for anybody, but it doesn't mean that you can get there all at once. And it's, it's a little bit like trying to climb out of debt. You know, something is better than nothing. You may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. And I would say that the place that people need to start is start putting these boundaries around their work. You know, if you have to work a weekend job to make ends meet, to feed your kids, you know, fine. I, I totally get that. But try to put something on your calendar, even if it's one hour a week, even if it's two hours a week, where you, you give an appropriate level of self-care to yourself or you have time for the things that, that, that matter most. Um, I'm in a season of life, like you're in a season of life as an empty nester where, I mean, I, you know, all my time is my own. I could pretty much do what I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter, Megan, by the way, with whom I wrote the book. And the reason I wrote the book with her was because I, I knew that I needed somebody who was in a different season of life, who believed in this concept, who could help me teach it. Megan has five kids. She has three that are special needs and she's now the CEO of our company. And so one of the things that, that she did, and, and by the way, what I'm about to suggest, not everybody can do, but she was in a position when she came to me, so, or when I came to her several years ago and I said, would you be the COO of our company? And she said, dad, I, I will on one condition. She said, I'm not willing to compromise my time with my kids. I want to pick up the kids at school at 3 p.m. So if I can, or 3.30. So if I can quit by three so I can pick them up, I'm willing to do it. So she laid down a boundary. Now I know not everybody can do that. I was amenable to it. I said, yes, yeah, I'm totally comfortable doing that. But sometimes you can negotiate. Sometimes it's going to take you a you know, longer period of time to get there, but don't despair. The important thing is not to drift so that you're in the same place 10 years from now that you are right now. You don't, want to, you don't want that to happen. So instead, the alternative to drifting through life is to design your life and take control of what you can control, even if right now that's only a small amount of your calendar. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Thank you for that. That is perhaps the most meaningful thing for a lot of listeners is just that right there. You don't have to be in some ideal position to make these things work. Start with where you are. Build yep. the life you want. Absolutely. Well, the book, again, is When It Works, Succeed in Life. Michael, thank you so much. Um, I'll tell people where they can get it. But, um, but thank you for sharing your thoughts here. Thank you for bringing this book to life to help us believe that we really can have work we love and a life we love. Thank you thank so you, much. Dan. Thanks for having me on. Well, I hope you found that encouraging. No matter what your work and life look like now, I trust you grab some principles that will help you experience even more success in both work and life. 
Now, again, you can go to winandsucceedbook.com slash 48 days to order the book and get the bonuses. Now, some of the bonuses, now again, Michael's gracious, of course, sending me books, especially in anticipation of doing the interview, but I went on and ordered books anyway, because I want to get the full benefit of what he's offering. So if you order the book, and there's a link there at the the link that I gave you, where you can get not only the book, but you get a free copy of the audio book as well. You get a free copy of his book, Best Year Ever, which is one that we've promoted for a long time since he wrote it. You also get a free ticket to win and work at Work and Succeed at Life, a live event that Michael and his daughter, Megan, with whom he wrote the book, are going to be doing on April 20th, Tuesday, April 20th. So you want to take advantage of all those things, just jump in there. Continue to send me your questions at askdan at 48days.com. You know the routine. Thanks for being a person who knows you can move toward your dream. You really can have work and a life that matter because you're one of these people you know. You can find or create work and a life that is meaningful, profitable, and purposeful.